Coaching as Benevolence, a podcast for people who are curious about using coaching for self-development. I'm Erin with Roots and Wings Grief and Loss Coaching. And I'm LaShawn with Michelle Sage Place Positive Intelligence Coaching. Hi, so today we are um, getting very close to the end of the year. So today we are going to talk about it's related to New Year's resolutions, but it's more about um, like setting an intention for the new year. And the intention that we're going to be focusing on is uh, the intention of being. So what does it mean to just be, to exist? And that's something we're gonna explore in today's episode. I've been thinking a lot about this topic and there are three things that come to mind. I'm I'm gonna use three because Aaron likes three. The first thing is, what does it mean to be? What does that look like? The second thing is, how is that going to appear in your life if you were to um, embody a, um, you know, a, a state of being? And the third thing is, what are the benefits of that? Uh, why do that? Why why set that intention of, of being? So again, the first thing is we got to define it, right? What is what is being? Uh, what does it look like? It helps to kind of have an idea of, you know, how does that going to show up in our life if we were to adopt that intention of being? And the third thing is, uh, what is the benefit of such an intention? So Erin, um, I just wanted to um, turn it over to you and see what comes to mind with those three things. And if you want to add anything. Yeah. So um, defining being and what it looks like. One thing that comes to mind for me for that first part of your three-part model is just thinking about when we set goals, instead of thinking about what we want to do, maybe defining who we want to be as a nice first step and really recognizing when we can um, embody and you use that word as well. Uh, who we want to be, that is more likely going to help us, you know, move in whatever direction we want to move with our goals. So I really like that, uh, taking some time to define and and what it looks like. And um, in addition, setting the intention on what it is and benefiting from that intention. um, I think that's really important too, because when we can answer who we want to be and we can also have intentionality around what that looks like, that makes it a lot more accessible for us to enter into whatever type of goal setting we may be moving into. Keeping in mind that, you know, as we approach the new year, yes, we might be talking about goal setting, but we're, we're really focusing on, on being and being as a way of goal setting, really. Um, so that's where my mind goes when I think of your model, and I love how you defined it here. What came up for you, Lashawn, as you were, you know, thinking about this over the past week? Yeah, um, a lot that came up for me is uh, the opposite of being, which is I kind of feel like that's what I've been these past few weeks. 
um, I would say like most of December, I've been really in a mode of um, doing and um, living up to expectations and um, fulfilling obligations and just and in a lot of ways being an autopilot. And for me, that is the opposite of what it means to be. Because um, to me, when we are in a doing mindset, that's always, I mean, there's nothing wrong with being in a doing mindset, but I do feel like it is, there's a, an underlying premise that we have to make something happen or we have to um, create something in, in an active way. And um, the opposite of that would be just sitting and allowing things to happen or things to come about or to emerge, to evolve. Um, and I do, when I think about being in a state of doing as opposed to being, I think about controlling the outcomes. So when I'm in a state of doing, I have this idea of the way I want things to be. So then I feel like I have to act a certain way or do certain tasks. Like it's an, it's like it's um, an ingredient or it's materials to building something. And I believe that in life, it doesn't work that way. I feel like some of the best things that happen in my life happen unexpectedly. Um, our partnership completely unexpected. I did not expect that I would collaborate with this, you know, with another coach on a podcast. It just kind of emerged and evolved from our, um, you know, getting to know each other and discussing, you know, our own personal goals. And it just emerged in that way. So I think that that's very important to think about in terms of like emerging or evolving. But yeah, so that's what I've been thinking a lot about. Like, how am I, and it's also reactive as well. I think that for me personally, it's very reactive. It's like, you know, this comes up and then I've got to fix it or I've got to come up with a solution. It's almost always like problems, but this happens in, um, in the nonprofit sector and any, any job or any in, in life, like parenting. So what I would like to do is really take the time to imagine my life um, or imagine a day in my life where I'm not focused on controlling the outcomes and just willing to just sit back and let things happen. And even if something were to come up, what would it be like to approach that in a way where I feel like I don't have the answers and I don't have to search for the answers. I can just wait for the answers to emerge or, or observe or be more attuned to what's happening. Because often when there's a problem that arises and I think, okay, I got to find a solution to this, it limits my ability to see other options, to be innovative. And so that's what comes up for me when I think about being and defining it. I compare what it's, what it's not. <laughs> what comes yeah, up for I mean, you, Erin? You had said observe. I think twice. And I think that's such a key word here in kind of relating back to our podcast on curiosity as well. And, you know, and you can sit back and have the time and space to observe uh, with non-judgment and, and potentially with curiosity or, or just awe and wonder, just that kind of flow state of being that can often lead to 
um, better results, right, than us having a very key directed goal behavior that we're focused on. Because if we if we approach our goal setting in that way, sometimes we miss out on what other cues were, are coming up naturally as well as within ourselves to better achieve that goal and better attain that goal. And so that takes me back to kind of starting with this idea of who do you want to be? Well, I, I want to try and be someone who does observe and take some time because solutions and, you know, quick fixes and goals don't have to happen quickly. And I often, this is where I have a lot of um, faulty thinking in my own life, think that they have to happen right away, or I have to move on to the next goal if that goal is is not working. Uh, and so my hope for the new year is that I can, can sit back a little bit more in that observation stage uh, and just take in what's being brought, um, whether that's from other people or relationships or ideas, and then use that however I, I want to, maybe even just to uh, feel a certain level of acceptance. And and really that goes back to who I want to be. I want to have this feeling of maybe some uh, lightheartedness or, or acceptance. And that then allows me to be uh, in the new year someone who who I can identify with um, once you feel a little bit more whole, potentially. So these, it's interesting because I bring these in my mind as kind of goals. I have goals to be, to be. <laughs> um, and so how I want to bring that back to avoid, not necessarily always avoiding goals, but stepping away from the thinking that we have goals and instead just answering some of those questions that are uh, maybe more thought provoking up front around who do I want to be? How do I want to approach uh, situations that I'm, I'm dealing with and just letting those sit and, and thinking about them and um, not hurrying into any sort of answer um, I think is going to be helpful for me in the new year. It's also going to be a challenge uh, because I do love a good goal-directed theory and I do love um, helping people meet their goals as well. Um, but I also recognize this part is so important to, to, to the goal piece as well. Um, so that's where I go. Um, I like what you said about not controlling the outcomes as well and how when we shift into doing, trying to control the outcomes. Uh, could you speak more to that? Because I think that's a really important concept. Yeah, um, I think that, okay, so for example, um, if we um, like set an intention or a goal to um, like do a party, let's say we're going to throw a party. This is a time of, of parties, right? <laughs> uh, get togethers with family and um, holiday parties. That There's so many. And let's say that we have this intention that we want everyone to have fun. Um, we don't want anyone to be bored. Uh, we don't want um, cousin Jim to have a fight with cousin Joe. And so we 
make it so that these things, so we try to create circumstances and conditions that will prevent that outcome or that will, will um, result in that outcome. And so when, when we're working on this party, let's say we, we make sure that Jim and Joe are not in the same room, or we make sure that everyone has something they like in the party. And I think that that is, is our idea of, okay, so if everyone has their favorite food, then everyone will have fun. However, we really don't know what is going to result or what is going to cause people to have fun in a certain, in a given moment. What um, controlling the outcomes is, is making decisions in such a way that we believe that that decision, that task, that placement or that choice is going to lead to people having fun. Whereas I think if we were to go from that as a, from a, like a being perspective, I would um, plan a party based on how I feel like, like, what's the joy? Like, I really enjoy decorations, these decorations. I love this scent or I love these, this food. And I really enjoy this and I'm having so much fun and this is so great. And I'm, I'm so happy to have my family or my friends here and then letting it go instead of being like, okay, so if I have mashed potatoes, then, you know, uh, my family will like this. And if I have this tree and this decoration, they'll be happy rather than just letting it be and, and not focusing so much. You do of course have an intention to bring joy or comfort or, um, you know, to have delicious food. However, you cannot control whether or not someone's going to like mashed potatoes or someone's going to feel joy when they see the tree. They might see your tree and cry because it reminds them of a time when a loved one was with them. You have no control over how people are going to react or how people are going to um, respond to a situation. So why not let go of that and just enjoy putting together a party that brings you joy, that brings you a sense of fulfillment and satisfaction and have the faith that other people will like that as well. And also, if you are in a doing mode where you want to control the outcomes and you want to make sure that Jim and Joe don't get into an argument, you could be hyper vigilant about Jim and Joe the whole time, not present with your guests and be like, oh, where's Jim? Where's Joe? And totally miss the experience. So um, that's an example that comes to mind when I think about being in a state of doing, as in you're controlling the outcomes, you're doing everything you can to control the situations, the circumstances in order to bring about a certain result, or just having fun and enjoying and, and bringing people together and just letting see what happens. Because you never know if you just kind of let it go. And maybe Jim and Joe might have a nice conversation and they might make up and they may not, you know, argue. You just don't know. So that's, uh, that's kind of what I have in mind. What comes up for you? I love that example because it started to create this dichotomy or dissonance in my brain in a way that uh, there's like this piece of anticipating people's needs and there's this piece of controlling a situation. And, and it's kind of like an art form when we can anticipate people's needs by showing care without trying to control the outcome or control the situation. We find that 
balance possibly in, in this situation. Um, and I mean, this comes up all the time at holidays where I think so many people are trying to manage other relationships in the room. And I love how you said, you know, let's take a step back and, and look at our own joy and, and how we're providing that. Cause I think that out outwardly um, shows and, and people recognize this is a, a space that'll be fun and I can, you know, let my guard down a little bit. And, and so it's more about my being and controlling my, and maybe not controlling, but tending to and honoring my joy in the moment. Well, yes, also anticipating some needs, but not, you know, trying to overly control things. I think that's a, a powerful message for the holidays and, and into the new year as well. I like that example. Um, yeah. So thinking about being, how, how do you get things done when you're being? <laughs> uh, That's a good question. I was thinking the same thing, um, especially because I um, am of a mind that if I don't, like, so, for example, the dishes are in the sink. And if I just, like, sit and let it emerge that the dishes will be done, <laughs> if I'm the only one who's doing the dishes, they're just going to sit in the sink. Nobody's, I mean, there's, it's not going to automatically be done. Now, of course, someone else in the house or if, if you live alone, definitely the dishes will just stay in the sink. Unless, of course, by some random thing, a friend comes over who is, um, uh, who loves cleaning and they clean your dishes. <laughs> um, but it still does feel like if I just sit and let things emerge, how do things happen? How do I make things happen? Like it, if I just sit and let things emerge, how am I going to make the money? How am I going to feed myself? I'm going to feed my family. Um, so that's a good question. And um, one thing that I think about is in terms of, um, Letting things happen in terms of there are certain situations in which we can let things emerge and let things kind of happen. And there are situations where we actually do have to do something, but we can still be in a state of being while we're doing that. I think that, it, like you said, there's a balance. You said there's a balance between anticipating people's needs and trying to control the outcome. Um, so I think there's a balance between just being in, um, you know, in a certain situation, just letting things happen while, you know, tending to necessary things like getting from A to B. Um, but it, I am curious to know, is it possible to exist with very little action where or where you only take inspired action, where you don't take um, any action unless it feels like oh, this is something that I, I feel compelled to do. This brings me joy. This, this is, excites me. Um, I'm curious about this. I, I wonder about that. That would be an interesting experiment. Someone like um, who could, or maybe I would experiment this year and see how often I can just be in a state of being where I let things emerge and what happens. And could I, could I be okay with that? And then You know what was interesting? So. I guess we, we had to take a, a short break during our time recording this episode due to uh, 
another work commitment. And I was waiting, sitting here, thinking about being, and all I could do was get caught up on work tasks uh, when I had this prime opportunity to sit and observe, observe my thinking um, and observe what was going on around me. And I did that a little bit. And I've had this horrible respiratory virus for weeks. And I just sat there and I could really feel, you know, what I was feeling with this virus and how it's really been difficult with that. But uh, otherwise, I'm not necessarily going through my day really thinking about this virus in this way, or I don't know, it was a really interesting experiment in, in being where I failed the test I started doing. <laughs> and then when I started to get curious about how he's feeling, I'm like, wow, I don't feel good. <laughs> um, so I don't know. I, I, yeah. What to take from that. Well, uh, the things that came up for me was I was curious. So when you were focusing on being and you started to really feel the effects of the virus on your body. Um, I'm wondering uh, when you went from being and, and experiencing the effects of the virus on your body and switching to doing, like, when did that happen? Good question. I think I did make that intentional choice to move from recognizing how I was feeling to being like, oh, there's this really easy work task I can do. I might as well just do that now, now that I've felt what I needed to feel rather than sitting with that uh, feeling longer or observing things a little bit longer. So uh, my brain just made this choice and I made this choice to, to move on. Yeah. So I wonder if um, the the desire or the um, tendency to switch from being to doing has something to do with discomfort. Uh, is it a coping mechanism that we have developed to like? speaking for myself, because that's one of the things that resonated when you said that, you know, you were focusing on being and then the feelings that you were more aware of the effect of this virus on your body and like the ickiness that comes with, you know, having a virus and dealing with all the um, uh, symptoms that go with that. And one of the things that I noticed is when I'm in a doing state, it's almost always when I'm re reacting, I should say, I'm reacting to discomfort. For example, um, I feel that there's a problem, something that needs to be solved. And the way that it is, it um, shows up in my body is like, um, the closest I can get to is like a kind of uneasiness in the stomach and um, tension in the shoulders and, and the neck and in the jaw. And so I automatically, instead of it, uh, 
experiencing that discomfort, that physical discomfort that comes with the stress of something being wrong or something that I perceive as a problem that needs to be solved, something that needs to be fixed. I go into action, whatever it takes to relieve or alleviate this tension in my body, this uneasiness in my stomach. And I find that often when I immediately react to that uneasiness and discomfort and I go into action, more often than not, it's a, um, the result is not satisfactory. <laughs> or later I'm like, okay, I did this and this and this and this to make this better. But then I realized that if I had just taken a moment to pause and going back to what you said before and um, that you noticed that I was saying anyway, um, I, I observe the situation and I take the time to really take in all factors, everything that's in play here, then I could have prevented these unnecessary things that I did in the moment simply as a result of wanting to alleviate that tension in my body. And I wonder if I were to adopt a practice of um, not reacting to that that tension in my body or that uneasiness in my stomach um, and just be like more curious to bring back um, other terms that we've used, more curious to know, okay, so I feel this way. Why do I feel this way? Is this situation urgent? Do I need to take action right now? Um, or can I take a moment and just take in everything and make the best decision? Um, and I think more than anything, when I shift into a doing mode, it's because I'm responding to discomfort. Yeah, and maybe not even responding, but reacting. Reacting, I think yes. what you're talking about, too, is like this difference between reacting to something and responding. And responding is more mindful more informed by our being and then reacting is it's not as mindful and more informed by our discomfort as you said yeah I really like discerning maybe having some discernment with those terms and thinking about how being can help us respond and when we respond from a place of being we are responding from a place of wisdom it helps us access our wisdom and in doing so, you know, if people are thinking about goal setting in the new year, it helps one really create the goals that are more in tune with who they really are and what they really need and what to, to call in into their lives as well as possibly accomplish or not. Uh, because there is still some level of intentionality with a with being and if I work to develop that a, a few days a week day in and day out there's still that intention there and I like that word instead of goal in a way because it, it really relates to um, hope theory which I love <laughs> thinking about you know we have pathways in our agency to goals and when we can focus on our own agency and our pathways Right, the goals take care of themselves. So instead of being so goal directed and being kind of blinded by, I have to achieve this, we can really just focus more on 
who we are, our agency, and what our pathways are. Um, so I like how being helped us access all parts of what we know to be effective goal setting methods or, or intentions. Yeah, um, there's several things that come to mind when you mentioned about wisdom and then also intention. And did you say hope theory? I just want to make sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the idea of not being so goal oriented, but rather, uh, I guess, more focused. Because when you said the thing about hope theory and then you um, contrasted it with goal being goal focused. Um, and then the hope theory about just letting the goals kind of take care of themselves. If you could just repeat again what you said about hope theory again, just so that I can get a better idea of what that is before I say more <laughs> about what's yeah. on my mind. Yeah, really what this theory says when we talk about goal-directed behavior is that we really want to focus on our agency and our pathways. So our agency being you know, who we are, our self-efficacy, our belief in ourselves, those sorts of things. And then our pathways are all the routes we have to get to an outcome. And each of those routes um, can take on a little bit of a different meaning. So if one isn't working, you could deconstruct that to construct a different pathway. Um, and the more specificity you have within the pathway, the more likely it is to get to a goal. But my main point, I think, with this theory is that it doesn't focus on the goal so much as it focuses on who we are as those pathways. Okay, so um, I'm glad you clarified that for me and reiterated that because now I have a clear idea of what I was, where I was going with my comment. And that is, it's very, you know, it's it's focused on the journey rather than the destination, process-focused rather than um, product-focused. And I think that it just really does go back to when, I'm going to speak for myself, when I'm in the doing mode, I'm most certainly goal-oriented and I'm focused on the product. I'm focused on the results. I want to control the outcomes. Whereas with the hope theory, where you're looking at pathways, agency and pathways, to me, that's more of like a being mindset because you are more, if you're going to be focused on your agency, who you are, it's really important to be present because a lot of the things that go on in our lives um, that are, um, that we're reacting to that, that, that's is is really, I think, in my own experience, we're reacting to often the past. We're we're reacting to um, you know, things that remind us or trigger us, um uh that then lead to a kind of conditioned response to or re conditioned reaction to a stimulus or to something that comes in, it's very familiar. So then we start we start reacting to the familiar feelings of that condition. So even though the condition is different, it brings about um, thoughts or feelings or um, memories of something in the past. 
And so then we're not really reacting to the present. We're not really um, reacting to a present thing. We're reacting to something in the past. And um, in order to be aware of your agency of who you are, I think it's really important to be in the present because we're constantly uh, changing, uh, adapting to changes in our environment and uh, things are not the same. They might be similar, but they're not the same. So if we are present and we are aware of our our intention of who we want to be, going back to um, defining being, uh, we are more likely, I think, to be focused on being as opposed to being goal oriented, where we're focused on, you know, what we want to have happen that we don't really, we don't have an idea. This is, this is weird, but we don't have an idea of what, um, how something is going to, um, how something is going to um, end or because it's, it's in the future. So if we're focusing on the end result, the only thing that we really have to, to um, reference when we're, when we're creating something uh, in the future, something we, we haven't seen before, is the past. And so in focusing on, I want to create something, I want to make this end result. I have this idea of an end result, but the only idea comes from past experiences. So I think that's what causes us to repeat our past, to repeat things, to like um, have similar outcomes. And it denies us the opportunity to um, experience new things. And I think when we're children, it's different. I think when we're children, we have fewer past patterns to fall back on. So we, have that wonderful opportunity for things new to come up and to emerge in our experience. Whereas when we're adults, we're more focused on the template and we're not building new templates for the most part. I mean, if you think about your job, your nine to five or, you know, what you're doing in, in most of your life, once you're an adult, you get into a career path. And you're just maybe defining and refining and honing your skills, but you may not necessarily be building new ones or emerging. Um, things, new uh, skills aren't emerging because you're just constantly doing the same thing. Maybe better, maybe more efficiently, but it's the same thing. So, that's what I think about when I think about what you say about hope theory and how important it is to take the time to figure out where you are in life um, and step out of that pattern of, you know, doing things the way you always do it, what's comfortable, what's familiar, and be able to embrace the unknown and be like, you know, I'm, I, might, I think I'm going to just... Normally, I do this for this similar 
problem. But today I'm going to sit and I'm going to figure out where I'm at um, in this and what could emerge from this? What new things can I learn from this? And, you know, see where that takes me. So those are the things that were coming up for me when you were talking about hope theory um, and comparing it to being like more goal oriented. Really, I love um, everything you just said. It sounded so wise. And as you were talking, I'm like, yes, this is putting the connections in my mind together around this concept of being and, and utilizing hope theory and, and those things. So um, I really enjoyed everything you just said. Um, and I think this idea of we have our thinking patterns and our feeling patterns and our behavioral patterns and how those have shown up for us time and time again. When we can be a little bit more mindful, we can recognize when they're not working rather than reacting when they're not working. Um, and make, uh, and that's a chance to make a shift, right? That's a chance to make a small adjustment. It doesn't even have to be anything beyond something that might take up 30 more seconds or, or something, right? That's where we can enter in to trying on things that are low risk, but high reward for us. Uh, and we all have those behaviors and thoughts and feelings that have gotten us so far. They're, part of it is our coping strategies, right? And it's like, how do we update, update that coping <laughs> toolbox um, so that it is grounded in more um, being and mindfulness and, and maybe less in reaction mode and uh, you know, even just looking back and I, I'm thinking through like all the times that I've tried kind of the same thing in my life and it never worked and I do it anyway and it never works and I keep doing that. It's like, okay, at some point, my wise self needs to step in and say, I'm going to make a small shift here. I'm going to interject so that I make some level of an adjustment that brings me more into the present, that brings me more into mindfulness behaviors and, and we're being more mindful about my own thinking and feeling. And I like how you compared that to, to being a child and how that might be a little bit more natural based on, you know, the stages of development and the experiences. Um, and I think that takes me back to, I want to embody, you, you know, as part of your model at the beginning, embody that uh, level of childhood uh, making adjustments and, and trying on um, new things, not to an extent that it's much different, but to something that's, you know, really small. So for instance, even thinking about this virus, like I always get the some level of sickness at the highest stress points in the year, right? And LaShawn has seen me through this. I'm like, oh, I'm just going to power through this. And then I end up getting more sick than I should have in the beginning. This has been a repeated pattern of non-being and non-mindful behavior of mine since I was, you know, a teenager. <laughs> uh, so I, I, I've been more aware of this, but I, I'm trying to find a way to, to make a shift or make an adjustment to, to be more mindful of it. So that's just a recent example of how this has come up uh, for me and in, in my own life and, uh, how I can apply what I've, you know, talked about and, and LaShawn's talked about today on this podcast. Uh, so I guess 
maybe it's time for a a coaching a coaching nugget of wisdom and and I and mine would be to uh, not only you know think about who you want to be in the new year uh, you know write that down you know share that with others but also recognize those opportunities to make really small behavioral adjustments in your own life uh, so if I want to be just generally more mindful in the new year. I might say, um, I'm going to take, you know, 30 seconds twice a week at the end of my work day to have some form of ritual to close out that day and move me into my evening with my family. Um, that's just one example. Uh, well, Sean, what's your coaching nugget of wisdom? Wisdom comes from you, Erin. I like your example about the pattern that you of pushing through when you're a little bit sick and then you end up being even more sick than probably who knows you would have been who knows with these things but that you know just taking the time so one thing that i would say for coaching nugget would be to in the new year take an inventory of um, patterns that you have relied on um, that may not be serving you and then, you know, to take from what you said, Erin, about making a minor adjustment to that pattern that you identify that's not serving you and see where it takes you. Um, and please let us know um, how that uh, shapes up in, in, in the shapes out in the new year. Um, I certainly want to do that myself is, is to take an inventory of the patterns that I have. I can think of so many right now, <laughs> but I think I'm going to choose one pattern that I have. That is just, you know, something that is my go-to for a certain situation, but every time it's the same unsatisfying result or unsatisfactory result and how I can adjust that a little bit in the new year and see where it takes me. Yeah, and I hope you hear from our listeners on those. And I, I uh, hope LaShawn and I can work together uh, to help us move forward with these new adjustments we're trying to include in our own lives as well. Yes, absolutely. Um, and share with our listeners how we're doing, what adjustments we're making and how it's turning out in the new year. Thanks for joining us for Coaching as Benevolence. I'm LaShawn with Michelle Sage Place, Positive Intelligence Coaching. And I'm Erin with Roots and Wings, Grief and Loss Coaching. Have a benevolent day.
Thanks for joining us for Coaching as Benevolence. I'm LaShawn with Michelle Sage Place, Positive Intelligence Coaching. And I'm Erin with Roots and Wings, Grief and Loss Coaching. Have a benevolent day.